0: Of tears last night? Yeah. yeah, it was good. It was good upstairs. I really appreciate uh, Kenny Saylors and uh, him being here in his presence so far. Today is going to be a fun day. Uh, there's always this weird kind of QA time, but we are going to make this a little bit more interview style because he's not only a fun storyteller, but I think there's a lot to kind of glean from his wisdom in all of his areas. Like for him to drop the comment of, yeah, I had a, a couple million stolen from me and then move on you're like we're sitting there in our ministry budget mind saying yeah how did you get a million dollars to begin with (laughs) you know how does that even happen so there's so many questions just to unpack his story and hear how God's worked through all of that Uh, so this isn't a get rich quick scam today this is a ministry and what that looks like hey next week just so you know that it is it's the start of kind of on a Christian calendar important day anyone know what next Wednesday is Ash Wednesday—it's the start of Lent, which is a 40-day period leading up to the the crucifixion and the resurrection—and it's—and it's getting yourself in that posture in place. So, next week we, it was it was a Sabbath day. What's going to happen is we're going to be in here at 9:30, but it's not going to be for the full time. That's going to be. Uh, a time specifically talking about a little bit about Lent a little bit about the possibility of you fasting or thinking about giving up something towards that goal for the forty days so even as you're that's something that you can be thinking about now and then also just kind of ushering you out with the Sabbath and band's emphasis that day so stoked about that and it will be very interactive in that sense um, before we get started I didn't get to get a trailer up um, he, Kenny has done a lot of films, and, and we're going to hear some of his story, but he's gone from music videos to uh, filmmaking to TV to a variety of stuff. Um, before we do that, let's, let's bring Trouton up here, too. Let's bring you both up here, and let him do a little intro. But he's, he's walking. He's up here. He's out of the hospital, and he's walking. Praise Jesus.
1: I think I, that cough just took my voice again. Oh, no. <laughs> you don't have to talk. I, I was hoping to get here early enough to give my thanks to you, because I know a lot of you have been praying for me. I appreciate that. I have had a scary uh, little bit for the last bit. I am so exhausted. That's what's left of it right now. Uh, but even though I don't feel like it, I am coming back to uh, to full health. But my body went through a great deal. Thankfully, there's a lot to my body to go through a lot of it. Um, but... Uh, Uh, I know a lot of you were asking my wife last night how I was doing and what I'm having to do right now. I was, after all the work we've had to get Kenny here, I was disappointed I couldn't be there last night to be with you. But I have to pick and choose what I do. And uh, Dr. Smith told me that my first priority is some faculty meeting or something this afternoon. And so I'm trying to fit other things in there. Some of your marketing will be a little delayed, uh, just uh, with apologies for that. Um, but I've come a long ways after some scary days. So I thank you for your prayers and and all your support. And I got a little frustrated because, as I say, I got my buddy Kenny here, but one of the things I did in anticipation of Kenny coming here was arrange a lot of my classes to be a little bit less of me and more of other And some of you have been in my classes. We had presentations and and DVDs and stuff. I had lined all that up. So if God was going to say a time to take me down, it was when I'd made a lot of arrangements with my classes as well to be good. And thankfully, we brought somebody in here that has such a great personality that once he gets introduced to you, he can take it from there. Yeah, so yeah. so thank you for your prayers. I think that carried me through it. So, And you're stuck with me a little bit longer.
0: So sit so here for just a second. Um, usually we pray for Kenny, and we actually pray for Kenny as Pulse leaders, but I'm going to have Kenny pray for Dave right nice now right. and just his health as a visitor and friend here. So we're just going to pray for you as we continue with Pulse today.
2: Lord, we just come before you, and we thank you for Brother Dave here and for everything he means to the body of Christ and to this student body here and to this whole campus and school. And we just thank you for giving him his strength back and his health back. Let him continue to grow, and let him continue to grow in health, and God, give him his strength, and let him be back to full 100% so this world will have to handle him more, longer. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Dave, thanks so much for investing and in getting Kenny up here to be with us today and everything the school's it's done. It's been a lot. how, how long years. have we been
2: trying, you've been talking like two years or something? Or you, yeah, at least two years. So. Yeah, I know, it was a whole, totally different movie. And we, <laughs>
0: as a campus, we care about hands-on ministry. That was a huge, big part of Pulse. And just so you know, also praying for people that are sending them out. Um, I want to pray, this last weekend we had a Dunamis rally. Some students went to that, where some students are a part of that, where we, go, we send teams out to minister. And we were even talking this morning about the commotion rally and the churches coming together where we're going as a campus up to Fredericton to support that Sunday night. And so really excited for the ways that we are trying to be out in the community and be a part of praying and sending um, not only each other to do ministry, but the youth pastors in the local churches. So uh, Kenny, we are so excited to have you here because it's a different variety for us so this is ascending and with video filmmaking it's not like a major at our school uh, we have creative people that do things like that um, but it's not one of our uh, main emphasis but we so this is a fun day to have you with us I, we're going to have this a little bit more interview time and you will have some time to talk about this as a whole I, I did have two slides I had two questions to kind of get us started off and then you can go with your story and go all around that too yeah yeah um we were talking, and you were talking about the ups and the downs, and how, having some hard times in there, and it made me think. Can I'll try and go to this first slide? It made me think of pastor burning, of burnout, um, and it's not something we talk a lot about, but just continuing through ministry. And this was one thing that a, a ministry called Seedbed put together, just talking about some of the stats as to uh, the things that happen. And um, one interesting stat on here was 45% of pastors' wives say the greatest danger to them and their family is physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual burnout. 25% see their husband's work schedule as a source of conflict and detriment to the family. 90% work more than 50 hours a week, yet admit they feel their work is never done and the expectation never ends. And there is is this sense of uh, a commitment in ministry that can take you well beyond your boundaries to the point of crashing. And Hopefully you never get there, and I will send this to you guys. So you have this later on, but hopefully you never get there. But there are moments where you succeed, moments you fail, and you were very transparent about that. And so this this came to mind as something that would be pertinent to us. And I thought you might be able to share a little bit from your life as to the ups and downs and what that would look like.
2: Uh, that's actually a great um, a great thing because you, it's exactly the same thing. In our industry, you you go so full in. Once you go all in, you're literally all in, and you keep going and and uh, I mean, I'm 38 years old, and I've never been married. I'm single still, <laughs> and um, and you know it's amazing. But I mean, I've almost been married, but it didn't work out. And the reason why my schedule, um, because I constantly travel. I mean, it, it it's a demanding. A demanding career and the same way in a, in a pastoral and a ministry effect because I, I know plenty of ministers uh, from missionaries to pastors to youth pastors uh, traveling evangelists all these different things I've known people throughout my whole life and it's real interesting because the the demands while totally in a different field but the demands still hit you the same way and of course like for me it was uh, it was more of a choice it was a sacrifice um, because there were times in my life I, there was at one point about 10 years ago, <clears throat> I was going to get married, and, uh, but the, um, it just came down to the point I'd had to change my life so much, <clears throat> and I know, and sometimes I sit back and go, okay, was this the right choice, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but it was either choosing the relationship or choosing the career that I'd spent the last, uh, <clears throat> well, I guess almost 10 years at that point, uh, building, and um and it came a decision and i made the decision to go with my career because it was <clears throat> and uh and after a lot of prayer though i mean it's not like i was just like hey you know what get out of here you know, um and uh <laughs> it's like man no way i'm making movies man you know don't keep me down <laughs> it wasn't like that it was a lot of prayer it was hard it was not easy to do but i felt like the lord had given me the 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 grace to go on and uh because sometimes you have to look at your um you have to look at your purpose and your calling, and uh, and anytime you're called into something, uh, there's always going to be a lot of hard choices to make, and when you hit those high points and low points, because people in my career, especially in my business, everybody looks at success based upon, and they look at success and failure based upon money, projects, and things like that, what kind of car you're driving, you know, th- those kind of things, and, um, and actually, when I was when I was younger in the business, that stuff used to matter. And then you get to a point where it doesn't matter because you're just like, I mean, when you're to the point where you can buy anything you want, um, then you're like, okay, well, you know, I can get anything I want. Then you're still not satisfied with it. And then you lose everything you have because I've had that happen on multiple occasions. Uh, but it's one of those things whenever you hit the bottom, uh, you still, the only thing left is your purpose, you know. And I don't know if that m- fits in yeah. context of what you're talking about. No, and
0: you, um... So so talk to me through that in the sense of, um, is it okay to fail? Like, there's going to be times in ministry, actually this morning in our faculty meeting, someone saying, like, there's, like, working towards a Super Bowl, there's some weeks that you feel really good, and there's some weeks where you feel like you lost the game, per se. Um, but in ministry, that's really hard, because you feel like it's a sermon. If You like people's lives on the line, or a teaching and different things. You, you feel the sense of, and then if you hit the bottom, can you, how do you get out of that? Like, if there's a moment where you're there, um, let me pause for one second. How many of you so far would say you've been... To the point through your college career to where you've already crashed at some point. All right, all right. So, so, so you're not. We're not speaking <laughs> yeah. to something that doesn't happen. <laughs> pushing themselves, and 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 we know that we know this. We think it gets easier. And some things change schedule wise, but your schedule gets more demanding rather than less after school to some degree. So we we know that this doesn't change. So knowing that there's moments where we crash, and you knowing that happening in your life, what do you do with those moments?
2: Well. The first thing I do, because I can't tell you how many times I've been there, <clears throat> sitting there going, "Okay, why did I pick this stupid business?" <laughs> because it's it, it's crazy. That's a very we're the, my world's a very f- uh, fluctuating world. It's always up down. I mean, I've had a, <clears throat> I've been on the brink of you know I've been sitting there. We already had a pretty much a done deal where we had a we had a project that was going to be you know several million dollars and all this stuff and. And uh, sitting there, oh yeah, everything's good. And then the next day, you get a phone call: the whole deal's been killed because of some reason. And you're like, uh, "What?" You know. And so you're just like, "Wow, okay. Well, how do you how do you deal in that situation?" One of the best examples from my life, actually, uh, we had a, we were putting together a deal with DreamWorks, and we were doing a three picture deal with them. And um, and this was after we had first uh, uh, a little brief story of my, my little history of my life here, because. Uh, I came from a very poor, impoverished pastor's family in Texas, and so it's not like You're I was. You're a pastor's born. kid. I'm a pastor's
0: ah, kid. Ah, uh, P.K. Yeah. <laughs> We're learning stuff about your story. Yeah, we yeah. didn't know
2: that yet. And uh, uh, and I turned out all right, no, um, but um, despite that, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, but um, uh, when you know, so it wasn't like I was part of a part of a. Industry family. Matter of fact, we weren't even allowed to watch movies and stuff growing up. We were. I was from a very strict home. First movie I ever saw was Beetlejuice. I had to sneak out to the movie theater to, to see can, it. Can I
0: interrupt you, Impostor, for one second? <laughs> you, you said that you actually started doing some music videos with like Snoop Dogg. So you went right. into like rap industry. I went way extreme. Inside. Yeah. Okay. So, but you said that you said <laughs> uh, that like yeah. it actually was hard for you because even though now we would say we're 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 interviewing because of the in, the impact you've had in Christian influence and in ministry. You said that your church almost felt like they were sending you off the deep end
2: oh, yeah. into uh, L.A. And when, I, I when I would come back and visit, because for a period we were doing, my brother and I, which is funny for two white guys from Texas, but we were very big in the gangster rap world. And <laughs> it, it's so funny, because, you know, it's just so, it was so weird. Um, and, uh, but, you know, Snoop Dogg, DMX, a bunch of the guys that were really big, especially back in the 90s. Um, so whenever we'd come back and visit our hometown... <laughs> everybody's like well you know god bless we're praying for you that you know you'll come back to the lord one day (laughs) and i said and i and i got so irritated them saying this one time this old woman at my mom's church probably could have picked a better mark (laughs) but she just hit me at the right time she's like well we're praying that you just come back to the lord one day and i said you know what i'm praying that you actually go out and do what the lord commissioned us to do (laughs) and she said and she was like what and I said, yeah. I said, tell me where in the Bible. It says just sit around your group of friends and never go outside of your circle and reach people who are lost. Can you show me that in the Bible? Because I can't find it. And they never say anything after that. Did you make her cry? Yeah. Well, that was when I hit her. No, I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> hey, I was thug, man. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. They were influencing you. <laughs> yeah. They were influencing you in those music videos, man. <laughs> thug life, man. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah uh, that was that was actually was something that was really funny about it because um 'cause every time we would hang around with these guys, um you know we were with these big old huge black dudes with big chains and everything and and hear me and my brother are like Doo, do 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 howdy, you know and uh and people were always like. Like, hmm, those must be their investors or the record label or something. It was really funny, uh, but that was our life. We did, for three years, that was our whole world was was in the gangster uh, gangster rap music, and so I remember Jay Z when he was a lot younger, starting his career and uh uh all these guys when they were really young, it was so weird. little Wayne was real little <laughs> <laughs> so so
0: so as much as you've come through that and you 've continued to honor God with your ministry career, would you say being around them influenced you for the for no those?
2: actually uh, it's quite the opposite because, as you can imagine, uh, I was offered every kind of drug and vice you can imagine, <laughs> and uh and they always had a lot of respect for us. One of the things um, I remember we had a lot of the guys used to say, sorry, my mouth getting that sticky. Uh, my mouth gets so dry one of the things they always used to say cuz they you know sometimes we'd show up like they'd be on tour or something they're like yo do come up to the hotel you know and so we'd show up there and it's like you walk in and their suite is just totally like weed you know we walked in like I'm like all right man well hi we're out of here <laughs> and and they would always be like yo you man you want a blunt you know and I'm like I'm like no no I don't do that cuz I've never done a drug in my life I mean and I've been around everything and um, and that's one of the things is they used to always say uh, you know, man, we really have a lot of respect for you because they like say we always offer you stuff, but you never want to get involved in that stuff. And I said, that's really cool. But we ended up leading about four or five of the guys uh, to the Lord, and actually two of them are pastors now. Yeah,
0: two two are pastors, yeah, pastors now. Pastors
2: now yeah. Wow. So. So even though all that booty shaking in those videos,
0: (laughs) you know, know, Um, God still worked. (laughs) There you go. While we're on that, um, David actually in the Psalms deals with this, Psalm 73. He says this. He says, Surely God is good to Israel to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from common human burdens. They are not plagued by human ills. So David goes to this thing of he's almost envying those that are like the rich or the well-off, the ones that seem to disregard God but doing well in life. So I would be intrigued to hear you just speak into that, like the goods and the bads. not like all oh, Hollywood's evil, but then saying, you know what, they're, they're, they do get these things, or there is emptiness. What would you just say in
2: general to
0: that world, knowing that you deal with people that we probably won't deal with on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, the, the thing is... Uh With uh, the more like when you when you're dealing with wealthy people who have fame and all this stuff, there there comes a lot of uh, a lot more vices with that. Uh, Like one of the things that I've seen over and over is, um, and I've seen this happen to friends of mine because a lot of my friends were not famous when we were. You know, I knew them before they were famous, and now they're like really famous. And so, because I've been in the business for 20 years, and you just become friends with people, meet them over the years, and then you know, and one thing that I've seen is through a lot of them is. Uh, once they get they're always struggling trying they're doing really well but until they all of a sudden they achieve some fame notoriety but then everything comes to them free so now they actually have the ability to get uh they have the ability to you know get things buy things get whatever they want but now everything's given to them free and that becomes a very interesting play in their mind because all of a sudden like they can go anywhere and they get uh the premium drugs and everything are given to them free and all this stuff so a lot of them that I thought would be really strong getting there and they end up getting collapsing they keep a public persona really nice but a lot of them are I mean they are hardcore drug addicts and all this stuff and I've seen it happen so many times I mean I literally cannot even count how many times I've seen it in people I know and um, and that they have because uh, money and fame the one thing I've noticed it brings out it brings out your true character and uh, you can hide your character when, you got, when you've got nothing, but when you have stuff, your true character shines through, shines through uh, more often than not. And, and that's not a completely all the case, because I know some guys who are some really good people, but a lot of them will actually have to go over this hump of all this stuff, and then they come out of it. But it's, uh, it's very rare that you see people who don't, ha- they have some very deep, hardcore vices, because everything is accessible to them. And... Um, so
0: what would you say to some people in here, they're, they're, even though I get what you're saying, and you're saying when you're in the midst of it, you can realize, you can see the people, you can see how many times it doesn't satisfy, and you can lose the lure of that, I would still say there's probably people in here that are going to be the opposite side. We're, ne- we're never going to see a million dollars, and we still wonder what it would be like to be there. What would you speak into people's lives that might still in their head have this lure of, yeah, but. We, we know it's vanity,
2: but, but. Yeah, no, I mean, and, and you could chalk me up in that category because I was the same way, and uh, the the big thing about it is there's that old adage, you know, uh, money doesn't bring happiness, and it really doesn't. Um, it pays the bills, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it makes bills easier to pay. You can get more things, but the problem is that's the problem with our culture is we've, we've determined, we've based everything upon things and what you have and what you can get, and uh, while it's, it's nice. At the same time, it's also um, it becomes a. You know, there was there there was a reason why Jesus said uh, that it was easier for a camel to go through an eye of the needle than a rich man to enter heaven, because whenever you have less, uh, and this is something from that I've seen from my travels around the world in different places, is is that you see the faith of people. Whenever you can get anything, it's uh, you have a lot less requirement for faith, because. Uh, if you want something, oh, well, I can go get that. I don't need faith to get anything. I don't need faith to get this. I don't need faith to get better. I can go to a doctor, the best doctor, all this stuff. All of a sudden, you find that you're relying upon yourself and what you have made, your money, your all this. You're relying on that, and you don't rely on God. And so it becomes a matter of faith, really, because, and I understand that in a way now than I did a long time ago, because, you know, I had the same thing. I was like, oh, man, you get money, everything's good and dandy. But the problem is, is you start relying upon yourself. And any time, in any stage of our life, when we rely upon ourselves more than we rely on God. It's always a recipe for disaster. And wow. that's probably one of the biggest things that I have have noticed and seen.
0: Wow. Now, you shared in Carolina, what class was that you shared in? Intro to missions. And you were wanting him to tell a specific story that you, intro to missions.
2: Pink Church. The Pink okay. Church. Uh, for those of you who saw Velo Tears last night, uh, the story of the girl who had poisoned her, uh, the in-law. She was forced into a marriage, and then they took and poisoned her and everything, so that she would. Uh, because the ha- family was not happy that he married her. Um, well, that little church. There was a little pink church. Did you pay attention to the church in the movie? Okay, you saw it. Okay, the the pastor of this church um, uh, is a twenty-six year old. Uh, 26 year old guy, who um, looks like he's about 15. He's a real young looking dude, and um, and so we were up there. Um, we were sitting around one day, and I was like, "So, you know, what brought you to this village and everything?" and and he told us his story, uh, how he was from he was from another village, and um, um, and he was a, he's a first generation believer. He's from a, his his village was all Hindu, and uh, and then they when a missionary came in the whole village actually converted to Christianity. And so he was raised his uh, later uh, teen years in the, in the church, and he decided God called him to be a pastor, to be a missionary uh, to his own country. And so he went and joined up in one of our Bible schools that we've had down there, uh, one of the GFA's Bible schools, went through a three-year program, and then he went out to an unreached to these villages, one of these villages out in the middle of nowhere, and it was this, uh, I can't think of the name of that village, but it was up in Assam. Anyhow, so he gets to this village, and um, he stays about uh, eight or ten kilometers away. There's a there's a, because there's a church already established over there, so he's over there sleeping on the floor. Um, and so every day he gets up and walks to this village. There are three villages that make up about fifteen hundred people, and uh, and it's they're all Hindus. And he walks every day. He walks over there trying to and go witness to people because that's where he felt God called him to. Is that little collection of villages. So he goes over there every day, and every day they're like, get out of here. We're going to kill you if you come back tomorrow, and then he would come back. And they're like, we're going to kill you if you come back tomorrow, and he comes back. And uh, they got to where they were running him out of town, and he he actually learned the whole language because they spoke a totally different language. He learned their entire language in one month. Uh, and uh, you know, so he went every day he would go back, and after six months he said he started getting tired. He was like, you know, he's like going, hey, man, you know. God he goes, but I know God called me here, so I want to keep going back. He said he he was losing heart and all this stuff because nobody would listen. And all they did was want to kill him and they chase him around and I mean they literally chase him around the village. And uh crazy. and uh so finally one day he goes over after he'd been there six months and he said he had kind of lost a little bit of heart. He goes in, but he was walking around and there's this old man that he had passed many times that was sitting there and he uh but he had never really talked to the guy. And this was the first time he ever saw that his uh, his uh, garment he was wearing was pulled up, and you could see the bone of his leg, and all the meat around it was just hanging off, and it was just like deteriorating, and and so this young pastor named David, uh, David goes over, and uh, says, "Sir," he goes, "I see you got a problem with your leg. <laughs> State the obvious." <laughs> and uh, and he's like, yeah. He goes, well, I've had this. He goes for many years now, and it's just eating away. And soon, soon it'll eat. Soon it'll eat through my my entire leg and all this stuff, you know. And uh, and he said, well, you know. He goes, my God can heal you if you let me pray for you. And he said, oh no, no, no. He goes, he goes. I've been praying to my gods for years, and they don't ever heal me. And he goes, yeah, but you're praying to gods. He goes, I know the one true God. And he goes, if you let me pray for you, He'll heal you. And that man says, Okay, I'll let you pray. But if your God and if your God heals me, he goes, I will serve him forever. He goes, I'll serve him the rest of my life. And uh, so every day he would walk back to that village and pray for that guy. Every day. And on the fifth day he came back and the guy was walking around and he said, Look, look at my leg, and he pulls it up and it's completely like a brand new leg. And uh, he said Amen. Yeah, Amen. Uh, powerful. And and so he said, He goes, I will let you he goes, I will serve your God. And he goes, you can come here. He goes, come every day, teach me your holy book. And so, because he couldn't read. So every day he came in and he would sit down and he would open up the Bible and read the Bible and explain the Bible to this man in his hut. Well, of course, the villagers now are all like, going, this dude's been, you know, hobbling around, you know, his meat's been falling off his leg for so many years. And so now he said every day that he went in, he would sit there and like people at the village were just like peeking in the windows of his hut, you know, or the, the through the grass and, and they would stand outside. And he said soon there was a huge crowd of people every day would gather when he was there reading about just listening outside the hut. They wouldn't come in. And then finally, one at a time, these people would start coming in and coming in and and giving their heart to the Lord. And soon they got so big they couldn't even meet in that hut anymore. And so they had to meet out in a pasture. And they were in the middle of a tea field. Um, And the head of the village actually uh, went and um, told everybody. He became a believer. And he told him, if anyone ever threatens his life again, he goes, you'll be banned from our village. You'll be kicked out. And so now all of a sudden he had freedom, you know, that he never had before. And so the... um, The village leader uh, went and spoke to the guy who owns the tea fields out there. And the man who owned the tea, and the the village leader said, we need a church. And so the tea field guy said, okay, I will give you the land for the church. And so now, after him being there for a year and a half, I think at that point, um, they built a little church up there. And they have almost a little over 200 people that walk miles daily, I mean on Sundays, to come to the to the uh, come to church and worship, and what's really amazing about it is that it started from this young guy who wouldn't give up, and even I mean, being threatened to kill. I mean, and, you know, very few of us could say you go to some town they're like threatening to kill you, you know, and uh, but he knew God had called him there, and that's an important thing. And this is something that I've always had to remember. And that story really challenged me is that you have to remember your call. Above all else, we have to remember that our, we're called to do something, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how many people come against us. Um, you have to remember that you have to remember the call, and that, that gets hard. That's a tough thing, because sometimes it's easier to walk away and to give up than it is to go through the, to you know, continue your call. And uh, so that's a great story. And so that was a little church where they have that women's group now. And so in that video, it's, what's amazing was in the movie, uh, those, girl, those young girls that are the leaders of the women 's ministry, uh, just a year and a half before then, they were Hindu. Uh, worshipper. they were Hindus, raised Hindu, and they had come to know the Lord just in that year and a half. and They're so on fire for God, they know that they, they study the Bible, and I mean, it's just amazing, it's really amazing. Uh,
0: thank you, yeah, praise God for what's happening. Yeah. Um, you do an amazing job of there knowing that there's hard times and portraying the, the bad, but then also having a very hopeful, grace filled message. Like, and I really appreciate that about you. Like, there, there's this also sense of very much hope in that. Uh, before I go on, I want to ask you a hard question. Before I do that, I want to give you two. I want to give you about three minutes talking to the person next to you. I want you to answer this question because Hollywood gets a lot of um, flack one way or the other. Do you? Like, and, and this is theological. We're going underneath this. Do you think the world's getting better, the same, or worse? Like, if you're going Hollywood, are we on the down? Is, is the world getting worse and worse? Um, do you feel like you know what? There's some places beginning more secular, but God's still working in the midst of it. Um, so, from your opinion. Hollywood and the and and America specifically, North America, Canada, where where would you say we are at spiritually, climate-wise? All right, go ahead and take a couple minutes and speak to the person next to you. We're gonna ask him to talk on that. Gave you a juicy topic there. Okay, so we we want to hear your opinion on this. Um, I think there was someone else that said something on the long lines too, and so I, I can kind of anticipate where you would go with this. But someone also asked not only the negative side, but would there be people in the media movie industry that would be worth noting for their Christian influence as well? So that would be intriguing. That's, like a, that's a side thing we'd like to hear either way. But um, if, you were, if you were just going with it, um, based off of just where you see the world going, and Hollywood specifically, and a lot of the junk that they do put out there, where would you say kind of the world is at, the, the America is at, Hollywood is at,
2: on the spiritual level? Well, um that's a loaded question because um, the industry itself is about as lost as loss can get, okay? Um, the difference is uh, the, is that the movies, uh, you know, the, the, audience, the audience still has a voice in movies. And this is what we always tell people, always say, you vote every time you buy a ticket for a movie. And every time you buy a ticket for a movie, you vote and say, I want more of this movie, this type of movie. And so that's why it's very important what you go watch, Wow. and uh, because uh, if if we if it you know Hollywood will make they'll make movies that make money because at the end of the day that's all they care about, and if you if you if they they know Christians will go watch certain movies, they'll mimic them and try to make them <clears throat> Noah, and um, <laughs> and they'll they'll try to do what they can to market to that audience, but there has to be but the audience has power, and. Um, and so I think, like, it's proven in, in the United States, I know, that the box office, um, that Christians have shown they'll go to movies. Now, the problem is here is, and this is just an honest, um, an honest statement about this, and uh, I usually offend a, two, a couple people when I say this because uh, I start talking about movies they love. And, but the big divide in Hollywood right now is Christian filmmakers and the quality of product they make and the, the, uh, the quality of the studio wants to put out. And that's the big divide. Because there's no doubt the audience itself is ready uh, for good Christian films and faith-based projects and stuff like that. The problem is the quality divide. So when they get the money to do a budget, do a project like Noah. They get somebody like Darren Aronofsky, who was an avowed atheist. So whenever I heard he was going to do no, I was like, "Are you serious?" I was like, "I was like, he's the guy who notably said the Bible's a big fantasy novel, and that's I mean, he he likens it to Lord of the Rings and stuff." And I was like, "Yeah, that's going to go over really well." Uh, but the the thing is, they they don't have the trust of Christians who will be genuine to the story, true to the story, because the Christians spend all their time floating down here at the bottom of the barrel so to speak in the film world and um, and this is one of the problem this is actually one of the reasons why my brother and I worked in the secular market for so long is because uh, because we were afraid of getting tagged as Christian filmmakers we, we're filmmakers and, and producers and stuff but we are Christians um, we are not and so we were afraid because once you get slapped with that it's a very very hard thing to get the tag ripped off of you and and the, and you're always considered into this one little limited area and so um, so Hollywood really comes down to one thing in money that's that comes down to it uh, but then you got all these um, weirdos I mean they, they believe in the weirdest stuff and um, and within Hollywood, I mean I've had so many conversations that'll just you know curl your underwear I mean it's just like it's like a what <laughs> and uh, I mean it's <laughs> it's just, I mean, but Hollywood is lost. Uh, but we, as an audience, still have an influence and we still have the ability, and it's all about where you go see, what you go see. So the only way we're going to, you're going to ever, you know, because you have power here in this, anytime, any way we're really going to see a significant change is whenever we start showing Hollywood that we are not going to go see. This. It's more about what you're not going to go see mm. than what you are going to go see because Hollywood's lost, and they're not, you know, and as much as you can witness to people, and I know a lot of believers within the business, there are a lot, and there's actually an increasing amount now, and it's fantastic. But once they come out as they're their Christian, like out of the closet, if you will, uh, all of a sudden it becomes a much more difficult road for them no matter what your status is.
0: But you're saying it's not, maybe not so much their beliefs; it's the quality they're expecting out of them. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Okay, so can I can I really quick? So this is a, a worship leader, very much a, like a Bible college thing that you deal with. Like you, you want to keep the heart. You don't want to sacrifice quality and excellence. You want to keep the heart, but there, it, it does seem hard to do both really well. Like, and I, I think in, with our hearts, we you don't want to sacrifice. Quality of excellence, not because you don't give your best to God, but you want to make sure that you are being true to God in the story. So, is that what you are saying with film directors, or is, it, is there something in there? Well, it's it's
2: also the fact of like uh, a lot of the a lot of the directors, a lot of them that I know that are actually big directors doing you know hundred million plus dollar movies. There is quite a few that are actually believers, but the way they do that, like for example, <laughs> he. I call him an edgy believer because, but his name's Scott Derrickson, and he does. Um, he's doing the next Marvel movie, and um, uh, Doctor Strange. He's doing one of the Doctor Strange, and um, but he did a he did a film. He likes to do. He he really loves horror movies. He did a movie called Sinister, and then uh, uh, he did one last year with Sony called um, uh, Deliver Us from Evil. And uh, he also did one called Exorcism of Emily Rose back a, a while back. Anyhow, and he did The Day the Earth Stood. And he's with a Christian. God, and he's a believer. He's a believer. And, uh, what what it is is we have funny. I call him a real edgy one because he's kind of got a potty mouth, and uh, and he, we're sitting around and we'll be talking and I'm like, and and he, but he really, I mean, he he loves the Lord. I mean, he really does. And I'm like, oh, man, you know. <laughs> You know, park your F bomber, you know, and, uh, and so, uh, and uh, but, but he, you know, his one of his beliefs is that, um, you know, he loves horror movies because he's like, you can approach an audience. About spiritual things, and they will accept it in the guise of a horror movie. He goes, Whereas if you're making a drama about something that's a spirit, he goes, You can put more spiritual truths in a horror movie than you can in any other kind of movie because you're dealing with a spiritual realm and an audience will be open to that. And I was like, hmm, I never thought about that, you know, and, and that's why he loves horror movies and stuff. But, but he is someone who's really strong in his faith, but, but even him, he's he's starting to get like he gets a little weird sometimes. We'll be talking, and I'm like, you know, and I'm like, okay, that sounds like you're getting into some mysticism type of stuff or something. Yeah. Because that's the problem is you start getting into these people with all these different circles and people start believing different things and and uh you have to really be solid in your faith. And uh and then the director who uh who did that movie Fury uh with Brad Pitt recently, yeah, um he is a he is also he he's he's a believer and uh and he said uh he's and that's actually—I uh, did. Some of you guys hear about Shia LaBeouf and his uh, his uh, conversion, how his, you know his conversion. And uh, well, they they say it's pretty genuine. The guy because he had he had two opposing views. Brad Pitt was raised in church, and and, and Brad, while a very nice guy, uh, he is totally confused about his belief system, and uh, and because. We've actually talked about it before. And he's very confused about his belief system. and um, But he is very against Christianity in the church. So I find it very interesting that, uh, that Shia LaBeouf had um, the director of Fury, and I can't think of his name because I don't know him. Um, but And then he had Brad Pitt. Uh, and he said of the opposing views, he would talk to Brad. <clears throat> but Brad was telling him, like, yeah, you know, and he was telling him all this stuff about about you know the church and Christianity and all these different things but Sha said that he was reading the Bible and uh, and he said there's something about the Bible he said that is real and authentic that I've never ever experienced before and he was reading the Bible just because his character was a Christian in the movie uh, was a Bible reader so he was reading the Bible for a character and uh, and so it's interesting but you know the the way you have to look at it is a lot of these people are coming from you know uh i have to i have to really remember cuz a lot of these guys uh, <clears throat> that are believers in hollywood they're what i call edgy believers because they they really toe a line you know i'm like okay they're pushing the envelope you know and opening the envelope sometimes and uh and well so, i'll tell you what if there's anything else down there i'll knock it over um and um <laughs> but um but they um but you, Look at the world, the environment they're operating in. What I see in these guys is a continual work of the Lord in their lives, a lot of them, because a lot of them are coming out from some really dark places, and they're in a world, a totally secular, ungodly, completely ungodly world. I was very blessed in the fact that I had, uh, you know, I honestly, I'm I'm a little more of the out there one of me and my brother. My brother's a very solid, firm Guy and I, he was like my conscience a lot of time because there were a lot of times I was tempted to just go wander off into whatever, and my brother's like, "Whoa, where are you going? Get back here!" And I'm like, "Man, I'm so mad at you." And then like two hours later, man, I'm, like, I'm glad you were there, you know, and, uh, and stuff. Because and uh, mm-hmm. and and so, but but not not everybody has that. They come in and that support structure around there. Uh, is not really a support structure of Christianity, but
0: that, but you're so like, having someone else there that has the same belief system is so big. We do have bands and accountability groups. Not yeah, going to certain places
2: by yourself that you know. Absolutely, yeah. Keep yourself away from temptation, you know, and uh, and if you're going to be around a situation that's going to put you in a, a questionable situation, always you know, have accountability. Have someone who keeps you accountable uh, because accountability is very very important. I mean, I went to a one of my buddies was having his birthday party. And, and he, he's a knucklehead. So, but he he's big. He was a he's a model, and he he runs with all these models and different people. And he's like, man, I really want you to come to the party. But I knew his party was gonna get out of control. And so, I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna show up, and I'm just gonna go for a little bit. And um, so I show up show up at the club where it's at, and I'm sitting there, and um, he's friends with like Paris Hilton, and Britney Spears, and all these people. So when they start showing up, I was like going. Okay, this is about to get crazy because they they have no morals and um, and so um, and uh, so I, I'd be sitting there for a while, but everything I mean, and you're getting all these different you know uh, you know celebrities and all this stuff coming in there and everything. And I was over there, and I said, "Hey, uh, Jeremy, I'm you know I'm here. Hi, happy birthday, you know." And uh, and some you know people coming up, but you sense that it's starting to get out of control. And I was like, "Okay, this time it's time for me to walk away." So I was like, "Okay, see you guys," because I know where my own limits are, and that's one thing I've had to learn. Is I learned I learned where my early on I learned where my line is. And there comes a point when I can't, you know, and I said, I need to get out of here before I start thinking carnally minded rather than spiritually minded, because we all have that line, you know, and if you don't admit it, then you're just lying to yourself, because we all do have that line in our head where our, our carnal mind will take over. And um, and so you just have to know that. And when you're, you know... There's this a is lot of- th- this is really good. Though.
0: This is really good real talk. I want you to help me out with that, R- what you just said in there, because first off we're we're holiness movement background so with that comes wanting to at this you know at the sake of holiness to avoid certain scenarios that could be tempting you know there's a sense so you're gonna have a dividing line of some people in here be like we we would tend to not even want to go to those scenarios but then knowing evangelistically to reach people that are lost you put yourself into some questionable ministry scenarios not in the face of harm and temptation for that reason but that there's some scenarios some people wouldn't like you to be in for the gospel that are really messy when you're really reaching out to those people and um and so I, I really would love for you to talk into that more so. And then you said you have a line. I would like for you to flesh out what your line is, knowing that like there's going to be a variety of people in here, some that will never go to the scenarios you go to, some that will think this is a, this is a part of the gospel. And hopefully it is for the gospel, not just because they want to have a good time there, because there is a difference between while you're going to those scenarios, for sure. Um, but then the idea is, what is that line? What does that look like? Um, and, yeah, I have one other question. I wasn't planning on going this direction, oh, okay. but this is real. This is kind of like what they deal with.
2: Well, um You know, in in Hollywood, dealing with people who are in our business, uh, it's it's all about relationship. Uh, You have to have relationships with these people. And uh, this particular guy, uh, like, for example, with him, one of the reasons why I even went is because he was, uh, when he came out to Hollywood, I knew him before, and um, he was uh, from a, a Christian school, Really devout Christian. I mean, he had—he was clean as a whistle. I mean, he was—he was just a really good guy. He came out, and got mixed up with the wrong crowd in Hollywood almost instantly, and—and uh, and I warned him about it before he came out, and—and uh, and I tried to guide him along the way, but he became a. a a coke addict, uh, uh, alcoholic, uh, he ended up, uh, I mean, he got in all kinds of mess, and I mean, I was getting calls from him at three in the morning sometimes and had him go pick him up from, from, you know, L.A. County or something, you know, pick him up from the jail, and um, so he was someone who I was like, uh, had watched the industry come in and eat him up and really spit him out, and so he was, but it got him into the circles, he started modeling and all these different things, and it just, it, it just made it worse, and, um, and so for him, he was one of those guys that whenever he was down, uh, I was always there for him because I, I tried to keep him from, because he felt guilty. He didn't like to do drugs and things like that when I would be around. And uh, he was somebody I kind of watched over in the industry when he came in. And so in that situation, I knew, like going to that party, for example, uh, I knew that, that while I was there, he would, be, he would be more watchful over what he does. But it comes to a point where you start crossing that line of like, okay, me, I'm no longer comfortable to be here, and this is one of those times where I need to walk out. And uh, because I had built a relationship, but the fact that I showed up for him was a monumental thing for him because I built the trust with him that no matter what everybody else in the world did for him, uh, whenever he was down at his lowest point, he could always call me. And uh, and that's the relationship I've kind of I kind of established with a lot of these guys in the industry is because you. Um, you get to a point where they will always hit a low point. and the thing is, are they going to call you or are they going to call one of their friends that's going to lead them the wrong path? That's not going to show them the way that the gospel leads. you know and that's really what it comes down to. And so every time like uh, he would call me, I would sit there and I'd, and I'd go over to his house or something and and he'd be coming down off of this you know three days of a of, of a drug spree. And I'd go sit down over there. And, again, he was a guy who made lots of money. He became a very successful model. And, you know, he had his choice of women, his choice of drugs, everything. But every time it came down to this just desperate loneliness he had.
0: And I would say that in that moment you were, you when you were saying, it, it didn't feel right for me, you were being spirit-led. Not only just like, a, it's not just a conscious thing. That would be you saying, you know, I feel like there's a prompting saying I'm not supposed to be here. Yeah. And I, and, and can, I can I acknowledge, too, that? You were already, like, I mean, you weren't seeking out those parties. It wasn't something you were going
2: to. That was something that you were already, like, that was a part of your relational community. Right, absolutely. Because, you know, a lot of, like, normally if there was a party it was at a club, I would not go to. I just just don't go to clubs. That comes back to when I was in my early 20s and, and doing the rap music. Uh, We actually, my brother and I actually owned a club for a short time. uh, Yeah, you are a random guy. I know it was. Well, it was one of those things. We actually owned a restaurant, and um, and then we decided we really didn't like the restaurant business because it takes too much time, and we didn't want to do that. And so uh, we turned, converted a restaurant into a club, and it became really successful. We were making about ten grand a weekend, Um, Mm -hmm. just and. But the problem is, we weren't even big club guys. We didn't really like it, but we just looked at it as an investment kind of thing. And it was uh, we didn't serve alcohol. Anything was a night. It was an after hours bar. Started at like two, and so anyhow. But after just doing that for two months, we saw the demoralization of society Mm -hmm. in that, and we actually uh, one day. um, I mean, we had a VIP room. We had all these NBA players come into our VIP room. We got really popular with this crowd real quick. But the problem was, we started seeing, when I was walking in the bathroom and people were doing lines of Coke off the toilet seat, I'm like, dude, seriously? And they're like, what, I'm not doing anything. They got blood running out their nose. And I'm like, and my brother and I sit down and we made a conscious decision. We said, okay, we did this as an investment. We thought it might be kind of interesting. But all we are doing is is we are supporting this lifestyle. And so we literally... Just one day said, we're not opening anymore after about a month and a half, two months. I guess we were open. And we said, no more. And so, and I never, I mean, I never stepped foot in a club again because it totally, um, it totally, I was like, man, it was worse than I even thought clubs were. I mean, it was, it was awful. So, and, and um, later in life, like I never went to clubs. Uh, because I just didn't find them appealing. Most of the parties I were invited to were at private parties at people's, you know, mansions or whatever. You know. Can I just
0: say before you go on that, thank you, and we respect you for making that decision. Like I mean, there is a sense of knowing. Sometimes you step into scenarios you didn't know you're going into, and then you realize that like same thing. Like, God's convicts you. This isn't what we're supposed to be doing. Thank you for making a moral decision from us. I, I think we appreciate you for doing that.
2: Yeah, it's and it was. I mean, you know, and it wasn't. Even though, you know, we, we were making good money there, you know, it was a good return on our investment. We ended up losing a lot of money on it, but just because, you know, but it's one of those things. It was, and, and you know, because you have to, at some point, you have to have a line where you realize, okay, you know. And um, and so, uh, but, you know, typically, and going to some of these private parties, uh, as soon as they started taking a turn for the wild, man, I was going out, valet, bring my car back, you know. I'm out of here because, you know, you just, you know, you just it's, I saw, I've seen too many people get sucked into it. And, and I, and every time somebody asks me, say, oh man, I'm going to move to LA, you know, and get in the business. I say, well, number one, he probably shouldn't get in this business because huh? uh, it's, it's, you got to have thick skin and, uh, and a lot of rejection, a lot of, uh, a lot, a lot, you have way more failures than you have successes. And, um, and so, and there's so much temptation that unless your character is super strong and you're super grounded in the Word, then going to Los Angeles is the worst place to ever go.
0: Let's pause. I want to start going into some amazing gospel stories. And so I want to go into what it looks like to tell a story of the gospel and in a different direction. Here's some of the stories you were just sharing with me. Um, I want to take a moment and go back to you guys talking in your groups. Real talk again on this one because it is something you'll deal with. If you want to share the gospel and be relational in scenarios, how much... Or not? Are you going to step into certain scenarios? What are your boundaries? Based off, are you going to be like a drunk? Like, are you going to be a designated driver for somebody or not? Um, are you going to be someone that? Um, what does it look like? The difference between seeking these out versus knowing that's a relational community. Like it is a line where if you're wanting to be evangelistic, some like the, the, the Christian like opinion is different on this. And I'm not like trying to foster anything, but I'm saying I would rather you have those conversations in Christian community rather than not have these conversations as to what it looks like to to honor God in the way you do relationships and be evangelistic for the gospel where you live. So go ahead and take a few minutes and discuss a little bit of those boundaries we were just talking about right there with the people next to you. All right. Um... I want, to touch on, I want to touch on a line here for you guys really quick before we jump back in and hear some awesome gospel stories here because I think he's hitting on a huge point that um, we do need just to hit on for a second. Um, I was a missionary in New Zealand for about two years. Yeah. And uh, there, 90% of the people do not attend church. That's not even calling themselves Christian, but don't attend church. So um, there's a sense of like only 10% would carry the same beliefs as you. And I, I remember specifically... Going to a party with my a friend um, and the couple, it, it was two guys that were a couple, and it really was not for the, the sake of going to a party, even though I knew it was going to be kind of out there for me, but it was a sense of like, you know what, I live a lot in a church world, and I'm, I'm wanting to invest in friendships that might be outside of them, what that looks like, and I remember going to this, and I remember um, literally two things happened at this party. One, Everyone else was drinking, so one guy was really, really, people that drink really want you to drink with them. He was like, he was avid on me drinking with him, And I, I said no, and, and he was like, are you, just, are you just too good for us? Look at you with your smug smile, like you American. He, it was American, New Zealand. It was like, you know what, like. You just, you just, you're just hitting your girls. You're just trying to impress the girls. Just have a drink. You know what? You probably never been drunk in your whole life. you like, you just need to get plastered once and be up on the side of the sidewalk and like literally berating me with that friend and about five others. Like not like wanting to pretty much fight me. Like if I would have said anything in return, like it would have been like, and I literally, emotionally. I sat there and took this for about 10 to 20 minutes of, like, not, not nice things being said to me. I, I, I literally, somewhat, the group finally broke it up, and I, I, like, I stepped out, and I literally had to take a breather afterwards because it, it took everything in me not to respond in a way that I didn't want to in that moment. Um, I, I felt like I was completely God-honoring. It really was with the gospel intent in that scenario. One last thing, other thing happened, though, is I took one picture, and the one picture that was taken, everyone else in there had their drinks in hand. And one of the guys that went through the party was flipping off the camera. And it got back to the next week, someone in church is like, well, our pastor is going out partying. Okay? So that got posted on Facebook. And all of a sudden, um, this is seen as people wondering about what I'm going and doing on the weekends. Um, and to be evangelistic really is a little bit messier than you want it to be if you're really wanting to reach the people that don't know God or are living that lifestyle at all. There will be times that you will be misrepresented and misunderstood by even the church world. And you can't you can get mad some grief, but you can't get mad too because I think it is done with a heart of wanting to protect and for us to really be holy as well. But just know that we live in that tension and that there's a di- there really is a difference that you know between going to places that are a bad influence on you just because you want to have a good time versus going on there... Knowing what gospel intent is, and knowing when you've crossed the boundary of this is not a place that's influencing me well or good decisions, and being able to walk out of conviction knowing this is not the place for me, and that doesn't have to be a club. That could be just a friend's house, and you didn't know anything. That could be a movie that you put on not knowing anything about, but then 10 minutes into it, having to turn it off. There's that voice that he's talking about. That line you know that as Christians, if you don't listen to it, it, it dulls it and it numbs it. But if you do that, you are more heightened, and you will be lived more obediently, even in the, even in scenarios that. Might seem to give into temptation. So, as a Bible college, we really, like, you, you had something that we just need to know and to address. So, thank you for that. And thank you for, like, really talking into that a little bit more. So,
2: you now, know, I, I had something funny to add to your, uh, yeah. Uh, about a year, and a, a year and a half ago, uh, um, I, um, a, a guy I know, a celebrity guy I know, he was in some big issues. And so, uh, the inquirer called me to get a quote. And are you guys familiar with the Inquirer? Okay, you know total tabloid nut nut jobs over there doing that. And uh, so, <laughs> so I'm talking about like the grocery. Yeah, the grocery store you um, see on the tab. It's gossip. Like, Goss like, oh Got man! It. So I said something. I just made a real brief statement. Man, whenever it came out they quoted me and they totally butchered what I said and I was just like, Oh man, I said I sound like a quack, man. What they what, you know, but that's oh, but that's one of those things where yeah. you're in a situation and you're kinda like you're in I mean, I can't tell you how many pictures I've been in where everybody's just like with all their booze and <laughs> drugs, whatever and I'm all like, <laughs> <everybody's> like, yeah, <laughs> like eh, yeah, these guys <laughs> <You know? laughs> I'm the designated driver. No. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. So, no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: okay, so going with that, one of the things that's been cool about you holding on to your faith in that is you've had a few really cool conversations with really influential people. Mm-hmm. So I'd love for you to talk uh, a little bit. Yeah, that. One,
2: one, uh, one thing that's a really a uh, really amazing story about how you never know how God's working is uh, back years ago when my brother and I first, because after what happened is after we made music videos, uh, we were at the top of our game, we had a lot of money, uh, we did have a lot of money, and then all of a sudden, our business partner, one day, we turned around, and we said, you know, we're getting out of music videos, so we started pulling ourselves away, because we wanted to go more of the movie route, and, uh, and when we did, our business partner ran off with all our money, and all of a sudden, my brother and I, here, we were at the top of our game, and we were dead broke, and we are like, what you know, I mean, literally, in one day we found out, holy cow, we have nothing, and um, and so, but all we had were connections, and people we knew we would. Uh, people were like, Well, you should sue him, but I was like, With what, <laughs> you know, I was like, We don't have enough money to <laughs> sue the guy, you know, and uh, and so, but we were like, Oh, well, you know what, I was like, uh, God will have his vengeance, not us, and so we, we had to keep pushing forward, and so um and he did oh, no I'm just kidding I <laughs> uh, feel like I should wring my hands a little bit no no uh, so we ended up, we went out to LA and we the one thing we did have were connections and so we had a meeting set up with a with one of the top executives of DreamWorks uh and this guy's like you know two doors down from Steven Spielberg I mean Big time, big time executive, and so we went in there. We had an opportunity. Our agent had gotten us arranged where we could go in and have a meeting with him. We spent, we sold stuff and everything, so we could get out to LA because we were in Texas at that time, and uh, this is we were kind of forced into moving to LA because we didn't have the money to get back. Um, and so uh, we get out there, but we knew people and we had a reputation, and so a good reputation. Um, So we go in, and our agent sets us up to go in with with DreamWorks to pitch a project that we would come up with. We were like, yeah, this is awesome. And we go in there, and our agent's like, okay, look, this guy never takes meetings with people. I mean, it's very hard to get him. And if you get 15 minutes considered a good day in hollywood because and he said he never smiles he just you know and just sits there and he goes so make your pitch quick get in pitch pitch and be done and so my brother and i walk in we're like you know texas guys and uh we we walk in and uh it's intimidating because we're walking into uh dreamworks here you know and we we go in and we get into his office and we're sitting there and you know he, he is he's a straight face just like you know like why are you here and we sit down and and we're you know making stupid jokes that we do and uh, and they were, and he didn't laugh and um and we were like uh so we we started pitching our project and then we pitched our project and then uh we took just maybe 5 to 8 minutes to pitch the project and he was just sitting there and he was like that's one of the most terrible ideas i've ever heard <laughs> and we were like oh, well, okay, <laughs> you know, like, oh, deflated, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, and, um, and he goes, that's awful, he goes, but where are you guys from, and we're like, oh, we're from Texas, interesting, and, he, and then he just started talking, having a conversation, we ended up being in there for two hours, and we ended up becoming very good friends with the guy. And uh, our agent, of course, was like, whoa, man, I can't believe this. You know, he's off, off the charts. And, uh, but we ended up, and he said, you know, at the end of that meeting, he said, you know, he goes, you idea was terrible. He goes, but I may have a couple projects I could throw you guys into. And he goes, uh, so let's talk. And we're like, okay. So we ended up coming back, and we ended up, for the next year, we ended up putting together this this three-picture movie deal with DreamWorks that we were bringing in money from Germany because they were doing co-productions and stuff. Anyhow, it was a big money deal. But over the course of that time, we became really good friends with this uh, this executive. And uh, one day he called me up, and he was like, hey, man, you want to uh, go grab a bite to eat? And I'm like, sure. You're paying, right? <laughs> you <know? laughs> and uh, and he comes by, you know, one of his you know $200,000 cars, picks me up and, we go over and we go to this restaurant. We go in there and sit 2000 or 200000 $200,000. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, that was one of his bonus <laughs> cars, you know. Um, and um, we're sitting there at this restaurant, and I could tell something was on his mind. And uh, at this point, we had known each other for, for a few months. And um, I could tell something was on his mind. And he said, um, can I ask you something? And I was like, sure. And he goes, are you a Christian? And I was like, yeah, and he goes, I knew it. He goes, I knew there was something different about you guys. And he goes, you're not like everybody else in this town. And I was like, well, thank you. That's a good compliment. Trust me. And uh, <laughs> and he goes like, you know, I've always had some questions about the Bible and and stuff. And for the next three hours, we sat there and we discussed the Bible and the gospel. And it was amazing. I mean, it really was. It was an amazing opportunity. Well, so over the course of the next the next year while we were putting this uh, movie deal together, we kept, uh, we kept staying in touch. I mean, we were all staying in touch. Obviously, we were doing the deal together. We were, <laughs> we were having to borrow money to catch the bus to get up there to meet, you know. But everything was good because we were like, we were about to be loaded rich because we were making tons of money off this thing. My brother and I were pulling away about $30 million off this project. And, uh, and so we were sitting there, and we, uh, we had, um, over the course of that time, uh, we became very good friends, and always having these talks, we'd get together and talk about the Bible and everything. And then one of another great testament of that was, on all, all of a sudden, we came to the point our deal was going to happen. We had been dead broke the last year, um, scrounging together everything. But I already had picked out a Lamborghini I was going to buy. Had picked out a house <laughs> in Malibu. I mean, I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, this is all good, you know, because I'm about to be filthy stank rich, you know. And uh, and so um, and then. Um, and so the next day, um, so we had, uh, so we flew back, my brother and I flew back to Texas to enjoy our last few days in poverty. And, uh, <laughs> you know, and so uh, our transaction date for everything was on September 13th. September 11th happened. Mm. And when September 11th happened, all of a sudden our whole deal fell apart. <clears throat> because of September 11th, we lost $30 million. And we uh-huh. were just like, ruh-roh. <laughs> you know? like, whoa, man. And so, needless to say, we were bummed, <laughs> and uh, we were sitting there, and we spent a couple of weeks or a couple of months, actually, trying to put the deal back together, but we never could, and we were like, man, and we were really, really bummed, as you can imagine, and uh, we uh, we finally make our way back to L.A., and we get out there, and we're just like, oh, look, we just can't believe it, <coughs> so we we decide to just make a low-budget movie. One of our friends gives us some money, and we go make a movie, but... but um, We kept on, we just kept on pushing. And so our friend at DreamWorks, we remained really good friends with him. And um, it actually stalled a lot of projects in the whole studio system, 9-11 did, because so much money was coming from foreign investors. So ours, along with hundreds of other projects, totally got scrapped. And uh, there were billions of dollars lost. Um, And um, (coughs) so, but we kept in touch with this guy. And uh, we, he still would have us come up, and we tried to pull together other projects. And he got us to writing on some of their projects, doing some touch-up writing and things like that, <coughs> things that would earn us some money and things. And uh, but we, but he, he said, you know, he goes something about you guys. He goes, it's really crazy because he goes, I saw, he goes, I had people on the brink of suicide after 9/11. He goes, I know people that were executives, uh, producers and stuff because they had lost everything. And he goes, and he goes, and I know what you guys lost. And he goes, but all you did is you just picked yourself up, and you're like, well, what do we go from here? What do you move on from here? And he goes, and that's really amazing. And then I was like, well, I said, you know what? I said, because my faith is not in money, you know, my faith in something greater. God's called me here to do something. He's going to supply. He's going to. He's going to provide. You know. And sure, it'd been nice to having thirty million bucks. I ain't going to lie. You know. Uh, but uh, and uh, anyhow, so it came. So over the course of the years, um, he ended up leaving DreamWorks, starting his own company. We helped him shoot a few projects. Um, over the course of some years, we go on and um, we end up losing contact with the guy. He had a lot of problems. He was, a, he was one of those guys who's, again, a typical Hollywood person, uh, got a lot of money uh, and, you know, can't control himself. So we kind of lose touch with him uh, because we got busy on all our projects. And uh, then about a year and a half ago, one of our friends approaches us about they're putting together a big deal with Warner Brothers and a company over in Korea. And they're putting together some, uh, some Christian films, faith-based films, that, are, um, that they're going to put together. And they've got some studio executives, you know, all this stuff. So they wanted to pull us in to produce a couple of the picks. And so um, we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, cool, add us in. And so he goes over. Our friend uh, who's dealing with Warner Brothers over here, he goes over to Korea and he's sitting down, and he's meeting with the execs who are handling all the, the stuff from the church side over there because it's they're dealing with the Paul Cho's church. Are you familiar with Paul Cho's church, it's the largest church in the world, like two million yeah. members or something. Anyhow, you know, but Paul Cho's church was involved with the whole thing. And anyhow, well, our friend comes back, and he's like, "Man, it's a, such a small world." And I was like, "I was like, how's that?" And he goes, "I said this must be something related to Kim Jong Il because you know half Korea hates me, and the other hand, you know, uh, and." Um, And so uh, he goes, no, he goes, I was sitting in this meeting with the guys from the church, and uh, they have a a studio executive who used to be in L.A. who is now over there, and um, he's heading up everything related. He's wanting to bring faith-based film into uh, Korea and all this stuff. And he goes, and when I laid out the stuff, he goes, oh, you know the sailors? And he's like, he goes, yeah, Kenny and Kyle, you know, and all this and he goes, oh, man, small world. And I was like, who was it? And he goes, it's a guy named Brad, you know, from DreamWorks. And I was like, seriously? And he goes, I was like, man, I hadn't talked to him in years. He goes, yeah. And he said uh, he became a believer. And uh, now he's given his whole life to the Lord to live in Korea and make projects that will reach the Korean people. And I was like, wow. And my friend said, he goes, and he wanted me to tell you, he said, he goes, he wanted me to tell you that it was those conversations that you had those year, all the years ago. He goes, they made an impact in his life, and he never forgot what you said.
0: Amen. Man, uh, Amen. Amen.
2: Thinking about it. <laughs> Praise so, God. So you, sometimes you never know when you plant that seed. You never know. You might never get to see this, See it growing. And matter of fact, had my friend not been involved or asked us in those projects, I probably never even would have heard that story. I would have never known. But it's awesome to know that he finally came to the Lord, totally changed his life around. I mean. Boy, he was bad. <laughs> he had a lot of problems.
0: <laughs> so you have that scenario works out just right, and then you have another scenario. You have a conversation with Tarantino that is completely <clears throat> yeah. different.
2: Last year, I was over in a, uh, it, it was over in France at the Cannes Film Festival, and um, and I go to go to Cannes on occasion, and Tarantino and I have many run-ins uh, over the years, and um, so I was in a, I was in a hotel. And uh, it, we were in, I was in the hotel lobby, and he and I were staying in the same place. <coughs> and um, I'm sitting there, and uh, and nobody else is in the lobby, and I'm just sitting there on the couch. Pause
0: really quick. We're assuming some know Tarantino, some don't. He would be a famous director. Mainly, his, his films would be known to be very violent. Would have been in, like, one of the notary,
2: notary, the things that would be a Tarantino specifically. Yeah, Tarantino. Has a, if you don't know who Tarantino is... Uh, don't go watching his movies. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so but back in, So sorry, yeah, yeah. You're, you're. He's there. a very prolific director. Very, uh, and um, so I'm sitting there in the lobby, and he walks down. And he's like, "Hey, man, what's going on?" I was like, "I like, oh, hey, you know, what's happening?" And and um, and he's like, he goes, "Oh, what are you doing here? You know, and stuff." And I was like, "Well, you know, I got this movie that's in the film market, and blah blah blah." And he was like, "Oh, he goes, oh, that's cool." He goes, "What, what is it? You know." and uh, because he loves documentaries and so I said oh it's a a doc and he goes oh he was sweet and he like you know uh, what's it about and I said well it's you know we shot it in India and everything and then he started asking me a bunch of questions about India because he's like man I've been wanting to make a Bollywood type film and stuff (laughs) he goes but everybody tells you they're crazy I'm like I don't know how you'll handle over there but anyhow but that's that was a different conversation um so um we start talking about that and but then he's like so you're your film, what's it about? Tell me, you know, what's it's about and I said, About the women's rights and blah 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 and he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. And I said, uh and then I show how the the gospel, how Jesus is actually the, the Christians over there are the ones reaching in and helping rebirth life into these women and restore them dignity and stuff. And he goes, Oh, he a Christian documentary. He goes, That's interesting. <laughs> and I was like I was like, Yeah, it's pretty interesting. And, and he goes, uh, and then this really launched us into this very Interesting conversation that I had not expected, and he goes, he goes. Well, you know, he goes. Christian film is an interesting world to me, and I said, really, I'm really curious what you find interesting. <laughs> and uh, and he's and he said, um, he goes, well, he goes, um, he goes. Christian film to me is like a like a museum, and he said, like you walk in and you're walking up to the museum of modern art, you walked up some big. You know, nice museum, and you walk in and you go to look at the pictures, you go to look at the, the art, and all the artwork is like uh, pieces of paper with uh, kindergarten drawings on it hung on the wall. And he goes, And everywhere you look, he goes, You feel a letdown because the quality just isn't there. And I was like, I said, man, that's a good, that's really good, actually. And I said, I agree with you. And he said, he goes, because, and he goes, it's not my deal with Christian film. He goes, we're filmmakers. He goes, we're all telling a story. And he goes, we're all preaching a message. And he goes, uh, and he goes, you know, so no matter what anybody says, we are, we're pushing our agenda in our projects. He goes, I've got no problem with the Christian filmmaker. Or, you know, he goes, like, you know, you're, you make, you want to make movies that have a Christian message? I have no problem with that. He goes, but you tell the message in a way that is quality and tell it with a good story. And he said, you know you what know, one of my top favorite movies of all time is? And I was like, I have no idea. And, and he's like, Passion of the Christ. And I was like, really? And he's like, he said, yeah. He goes, it's a beautiful, it's a masterpiece. He said, it's a masterpiece. He goes, Mel Gibson should have stopped film, period, after that movie and walked away. And he <laughs> goes, because he, he could never top what he did. And he said, because, he goes, it was beautifully shot. He goes, the story was so compelling and drawing you in. And he goes, and you don't get any more Christian than the story of Jesus. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I was like, that's like, <laughs> very true. <laughs> and, and he said, but he was like, he goes, but it was such a powerful movie. And he goes, if Christian filmmakers would think with that in mind and stop, worrying and stop making so much garbage and start make, focusing in and making quality, making less but making quality, he goes, then... I would have respect for that industry. And who knows? He goes, I might even get behind some of them. And I was like, I was like, well, that's really interesting. And um, he goes, well, what do you think? He goes, maybe I should go make a Christian film. And I was like, well, I said, I don't know about that. I don't <laughs> know if I go that far. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and, but what was really funny, and Dave wanted to bring this up because this was really funny, he and I had been sitting there talking for like, I don't know, 45 minutes or so. <clears throat> and John Travolta came up. And was like, and John Travolta was like, going like, yo, man, hey, hey Quentin, you know. And, and, uh, and he's like, he goes, yo, man, are you going to come with me down over here and blah, blah, blah. And Quentin's like, uh, he goes, no, no, go ahead. I'm going to catch up. He goes, we're having a really interesting conversation here. And uh, and because we were right in the middle of talking about all the Christian film and everything. But um and then, so Travolta was like, oh, okay, cool, man. You know, and he just walks so he's, away. He's a stranger, dude. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> Let's have a little fun with
0: this. Um, like, so, I mean, you know they're celebrities. You know they're they're, like, they're a big deal in the world of, like, they're all, uh, to be honest, it's almost like the way we would read Bible characters. They're, like, They're like right. people from afar that we don't know, but we know their names. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's almost someone, we almost read them, like, from afar.
2: But to you, like, it, it loses allure. Even though they're famous, they're just human. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. You get to, you, when you're around them, so much, now there's a few still that have that, that like, you're kind of like, Woo, you know, there's a few. There's probably five, five or six for me. And, but they're people that I grew up watching. And that, that makes a difference because they're a little different in my mind. Mm. Uh, and it's like, you know, Steven Spielberg was a big one. Um, and, um, you know, and then some, some cheesy, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, I mean, I grew up watching, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger. So I'm like, Ooh, hello, Arnold, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> um, uh you know stallone and and then there's a clint eastwood you know and people like that and um but but for the most part every other one you know they're pretty you know you're they're you and, and the thing is when you treat them like just another person they actually appreciate that much better because you you don't know, get in there and you're all like oh can i take selfies and so a lot of people are always like so you know man you, you should have more pictures with you guys i'm like well, when we're sitting around, we're not just thinking, I'm like thinking, hey, let's get pictures together, you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. Now, a lot of them, sometimes we're in a situation, we'll get some pictures. If you'll go to my Facebook page, there's some pictures of me and some, some right. people around. You're welcome to join, follow me on Facebook to add me as a friend or whatever. Um, and so, um, but, um, uh, yeah, so y- when you view, view them as just people, and especially when you start getting to know some of them, then you realize that they are just people, you know, there's, there's, you know, and and they have hard times in getting. And as a matter of fact, it's a pain when they're recognized everywhere. Yeah,
0: and and, and on the evangelism side too. Sometimes people are natural to talking to people. Sometimes they're not. But from your experience, what you just said there, you would find that probably most non Christians actually enjoy having
2: spiritual conversations rather than oh, a lot of them do. Yeah. Well, because from my experience, most people in Hollywood are are searching, and uh, and even people who've settled in on one you know, religion, they're, they're search, searching, and most of them are. Some of them think they found it, but uh, as soon as something goes belly up in their life, they're, they're instantly back in the searching. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's amazing the conversations you have, and, and a lot of them actually come from Christian backgrounds, and uh, when they got into L- the L.A., it kind of happened that same thing I was talking about earlier. They just get caught up in the world, and then they end up losing their way. Um, uh, Brad Pitt's a great example of that because um, his parents are, are, are wonderful, devout Christian people. And, um, and Brad just kind of, I don't know, he just kind of turned into whatever. Um, and I don't even know what he believes now. <laughs> but
0: uh, Let me bring it around one more time, too, with the gospel. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying just the gospel conversations, what you said in there, Tarantino and then DreamWorks. Um, you kind of just, right as, right as I cut you off, you were saying telling, telling the story in a, in a, in a powerful way. Um, can, can we as Christians tell the gospel in a poor way? Like, is there a way to tell the gospel as a powerful story versus not? Well, I think it, uh, <laughs> I don't want to, you know, you don't want to discourage it. Like, don't tell the gospel, but like as Christians and as a filmmaker, is there something that we need to do? Like if this is the, the, the gospel is powerful. The story is powerful. We need to, is there anything that you would say? Well,
2: as far as just ministering the gospel, it, it really depends, uh, um, I think, just from my experience, um, I'm I'm one of these people who um, I'm I'm a relational based person, uh, and I have no problem sharing the gospel. But the problem is, like in my industry, it's been, it's a little I'm a little skewed because whenever before I lived in in California, and it was in Texas, which is the belt buckle of the Bible Belt of the United States. Um, you know, everybody's like, oh, I'm a Christian, a Christian, you know. So, you you know, and whenever you talk to somebody about the gospel, it's one thing. But whenever you go out and you're around people who are bitterly against the gospel, it's a whole different thing. Hmm. And um, and so... How so? Um, like, because if, you, if you're not careful, you'll get lumped into a category of... Uh, I hate you and I don't want anything to do with you because you're a Christian. Uh, And so it... What, this is what people always, and I don't know, God's just giving me favor, I guess, in this way, because I have friends all the time tell me this. They're like, you know, it's really weird. They're like, you have a lot of friends who are so far out there into atheism and all that stuff, and they're like, and, and we get in these conversations, and I'm blunt, and I'm like, tell them they're idiots and all kinds I mean, that's probably a better way to do it. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's, that's usually after a long conversation, and they're getting, like, irritable. Um, but um, we sit there, and we've had long conversations about the gospel, and, and everything, and yet they still remain my friend. And everybody always asks me, they go, how do you keep friends that are so opposed to who you are as far as what you believe? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I mean, honestly, it's, it's God's favor, but also because I'm a friend. And uh, because that even though despite the fact that, because I, I have a lot of friends who are homosexual because in L.A. They're, it's rampant. And um, I'm a lot of friends that are homosexual, but I'm very adamant against you know the same-sex marriage, and and I have no problems talking about. It. And I've had many conversations. They get really mad and storm off, and all this stuff. But guess what? Whenever they're in hard times, guess who they call? They call me. Uh, when their boyfriend breaks up, well, it's an awkward conversation too, by the way. <laughs> uh, and, uh, but they call me and talk to me, and but I have I, it's my chance to tell them about the gospel, and and so. Uh, my whole perspective, now, and this is, not every situation fits this, but in a Hollywood system where everyone is, they're so against Christianity. I mean, literally, if, I, I mean, I've literally walked in places and met someone and uh, and they're like, you're a Christian, aren't you? They heard it from somebody or something. They're like, you're a Christian, aren't you? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, well, I can't have a good conversation with you. See ya, And walk off. And, then, and I'm like, well, how good is that? How am I ever going to reach that person? You know, and... um And so some people are already to that point. So it's a little different um, in in my world because you're not dealing with people who are just sitting around drinking a coffee cup. These are people who are influencers and they view the world different because they, they know they have power to have influence. And so they're a lot different. They, they, so when it comes just to normal, like it's much easier for me to walk in somewhere and see some guy who looks like down on his luck, me to walk over and sit down, talk the gospel with him, way easier to do with him than it is for anyone within the industry. And uh, because they're just all jaded, I mean, very jaded. Mm-hmm. And, um, and especially against Christianity with no, re- no real good reason, none of them i have yet to be. Well, there's a few of them that have some good reasons, like they were hurt when they were younger. And they really hang on to that bitterness and that anger and that hurt. And it's like, how do you get that when they don't trust a Christian? How do you get beyond that? And, uh, and I thank the Lord because he's given me an opportunity to break down, go around that a lot and, and become friends with these people. And then, and I, I mean, I've seen a lot of, I've, I've led a lot of them to the Lord. And it's just sometimes it takes time because sometimes they have to, you know, because sometimes they're not ready, you know. And sometimes they're, and you really have to get them when they're searching because sometimes they're not searching. They just have a wall built up <laughs> when they first meet you. It's just like a brick wall to the sky, And then once you become that friend, they realize they can trust you where they've never been able to trust another Christian in their life. Then all of a sudden, they start trusting you and they're open to you. And then that's when the door opens up for you to be able to minister. And my only prayer is that that we don't waste time uh, because I look for every opportunity. I always think back, this is a very hard story for me because I always think back to this one time when I lived in Houston during uh, the end of my... Coming to the end of my, <coughs> actually in the middle, <coughs> towards the latter part of my uh, music, rap music days, thug, you know, and uh, <laughs> um, but when when we had our uh, we had our restaurant and then a club era, we had this one guy who worked for us who was a flamboyantly gay guy. I mean, like over the top. I mean, every stereotype you could imagine, this guy was the personification of all of them. <laughs> and he was so annoying to me, because he was so over the top, and I was like, and, um, and I would sit there, and it got to the point where, and, you know, and I'd sit down, and talk about the Bible with him, you know, I'm like, you know, you know, the your errors your ways, all this stuff, <clears throat> but he, um, he would always, and he had a lot of questions, so he was always asking and everything, and he's just somebody that worked for us, well, after we closed the club down, we ended up not seeing him very much, and, um and he would call all the time though and be like, hey, y'all wanna hang out or something? I'm like, You're the last person in the world I want to hang out with. You know? <laughs> and um, but sometimes I'd be like, okay, well, you know, after a couple weeks he'd call and me and my brother and a few of our friends we'd like, uh, do we think we can handle him right now? Okay, let's go. Let's get sit down and go talk. You know, we'll go over and and it was always like trying. We're just like, oh my goodness. And uh, anyhow, so he um, and we always tried to minister to him and stuff, but but we got to the point where we were tired of it. And um he came over on a Thanksgiving. We invite him over to our place. We have a bunch of people over. <coughs> and he came over, and we thought it was like a total lame duck uh, Thanksgiving because we're like, it's just us sitting around. We're watching movies. We eat some you know, turkey and all that stuff. We're sitting around, and he's around. And at the end of the day, he was like, this was the greatest Thanksgiving I've ever had. And we were like, whoa, man, you've had some lame Thanksgiving. That's what I <laughs> thought. You know? um, and he was like, oh, this is the best Thanksgiving. Because he's like, you know, my brother is dying of AIDS. Um, and he goes, my mom. Uh, he goes, we were born of prostitutes. Uh, he goes, our mom was a prostitute, and that's how we were, you know, conceived. And he and he just goes through all this stuff. He had actually gone over some of this before, but uh, but he was talking about how he had never had this kind of family feeling like he did at that Thanksgiving. Anyhow, we dropped him off, and uh, and I was like, I was like, oh man, you guys. I was like, I'm Emmett, man. That was his name, Emmett. I was like, man, Emmett. Whew. I was like that guy. I was like, I had enough of it. Last maybe about two months of him being around because he's, you know, and uh, well, he's like a couple weeks later he started calling and he called and he called and we just I just ignored his call. Every he'd call all of us and we all just ignored his call, he ignored his call. And then finally after a few weeks he just um, he stopped calling. <clears throat> and then um, we were um, we were like, well, we're like, well, that's good. I'm glad Emmett stopped calling. He was bugging me, call me all the time and everything like that. Uh, well, then a couple months later we had not heard from him. And we're walking around, we're in a restaurant, and, um, and we ran into one of the guys who, uh, he's working there who used to work for us, and he's like, and we're like, man, you know, and we're just talking, he goes, man, do you guys hear about Emmett? And I was like, no, what happened to Emmett? And they go, he killed himself. And we're like, what? And he goes, yeah, he hung himself in a parking garage um, shortly, right before Christmas, which was the time he stopped text, stopped calling us. And I was sit there, and we just were like, what? And they go, yeah. And they said they didn't find his body for two weeks. He was in an abandoned parking garage. And when they found his body, it was, uh, but he had left a note. And his, 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 his note said, nobody loves me. He goes, nobody cares about me. And, and I have nothing to live for. Because there's nobody who wants me in their life. And that forever hit me because I said, God, never let me ignore the plea of someone again. No matter how annoying they are, no matter what their sin is, let me never ignore the plea and the cry of someone who desperately needed the Lord. And that story always sticks with me and still gets me, obviously. Because I've thought about this so many times, and there's been many times in my life I've really gotten frustrated with people who, have been, who I've been trying to get through to, and they just don't seem to get it, and they always keep going back to their same sin, and then when they're in their low point, they come back, and I always have to tell myself, Kenny, remember Emmett? He came back, and I was not there. And I was like, I cannot, I cannot not be there for anyone again. And so I encourage all of you that if there's someone, don't give up on them because it doesn't matter what their sin is because they are desperately in need of Christ. And we are sometimes the only door and the only opportunity they have to see and experience the real actual love of Christ. And so I just want to use that story. I haven't told that story in a long time. But I think about it often because it's so important because people are hurting. And right now in our generation, in our, and in your generation in particular, there's a more hurting people now than ever been before on a constant basis. And they're posting about it on Facebook, social media. Their hearts are out there. And the thing is, it's our responsibility to be the ones that catch them when they need that love and that compassion. Because this world is not a compassionate world. This world is a very selfish, self-centered we're focused on ourselves. Everybody all the world wants from people is what the what they want out of that person. And we are called to be like Christ, which He wanted to get love to those people where the people feel loved, where they where they would not normally feel loved. And so today I, I you know, if I were to say something, just always think of Emmett in that situation. When somebody starts getting annoying, like, okay, well, they're never gonna learn. Well remember that God has not called us to grow impatient. But he's called us to serve and to love people despite their sin and reach them where they are. So don't give up if that's if you know someone in that situation or you've been going through that.
0: Have you guys appreciated having Kenny with us?
1: For there too.
0: You, you literally read my mind. I was going to say if you had one thing to say to uh, uh, the Bible college or here, what would you say? And I feel like you, you said that <laughs> without me asking that. Um, we do have a few more minutes. I did want to open up for questions. I feel like you've given us more than enough. I could ask more, but like, I, I figure there might be some pressing things after getting to know your person, your, your story, that there might be some questions that might want to just come out here. If you had anything else, we have a few more minutes just to talk to Kenny. Is there anything you would like to ask?
2: Yeah, a redemptive film could be something that has a moral, a clean family film that has a moral redemptive value to it, but it's not necessarily. Here's a Bible. Lean your head towards the screen. We're gonna beat you with it, you know. So I mean, so that would be a a, a redemptive film, uh, and one where the end credits is like, come to the screen, give your heart to the Lord, you know. Uh, now, um, so God's Not Dead would not fit into that category. No, that would? would that would not fit in a redemptive. That would fit in the Christian film category because it's a blatant, obvious Christian film, which are ironically the least evangelical films out there, because. Christian films hit a Christian audience. Non-Christian people will rarely go see a Christian film, uh, and that's just factual. And so when the Christian film gets the big numbers and all this stuff, it's great that the church is rallying around these films and going to them, but they're not actually achieving their purpose overall. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure there's some individual situations and circumstances, but you got to realize a secular audience is looking at. They're going and watching, you know, something like uh, Transformers or something. God forbid. But anyhow, don't get me on that. Um, um, sorry, guys. Um, yeah, you might have made some enemies. Yeah, right no, there. I'm like, like we what? Got some shot well, in here yeah, somewhere. Yeah. I like part one. The rest could all <laughs> jump off a cliff if movies could do that. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but. Um, um, in, in Christian film, you know, a, a non Christian is comparing a Transformers to this movie. So when they go into a Christian film and it's just like, here, we're here to beat you down with the Bible the whole time. Uh, and, you know, and again, there's a market for it. And and you know and I'm glad there's entertainment for Christians to be able to go see, but you have to look at the purpose. Are you reaching the church? Are you wanting to in, encourage the church? Then you make a Christian film. Are you wanting to reach the world? Then you're going to do either a faith-based or a redemptive film. Uh, redemptive is being more of the reading. Uh, faith-based still has a little. It's kind of it's it's a. Okay, so give
0: us an example of redemptive. Would that be like Shawshank Redemption? Would uh, that be like?
2: Let's see. <laughs> Psh. But uh, it's actually a good movie, though. Um, <clears throat> one of my favorites. Think, it's so funny. I said, "I'm it trying to that. think That's of one recently that film. was." a... What's a good redemptive film recently, Dave? Yeah, Game Stand Tall would be a good one because it's not a, you know, you can have a message about God, and you can, you know, message. You can even, you know, talk about the Lord in it, but it's not like you're preaching a sermon. Christian films have become stereotyped in that. Come to this movie and be preached at for 90 minutes. You know, that's what Christian film has been labeled. So, whenever you can break out of that and get to that, that, uh, a redemptive would be a Mom's Not Out as a comedy. Mom's Not Out is a redemptive film. It has spiritual truth and message in it, but it's not, it's not a sermon. And this is one of the things I always tell Christian filmmakers. And, uh, when I'm, I speak at different conferences and whatever, uh, and then of course, half the people don't like me anymore. But, um, (laughs) but, um, I always tell them, so, you know, we've, we've, we we've must remember the entertainment of that films and movie, they are, it is an entertainment medium. And so it is, you are to entertain. Because people go to a movie to escape their world and their life, and you must entertain. We can add that moral value, the biblical values. We can put that in there, but it must not cease to be entertaining and tell a good story. Because to me... I can watch a movie like, oh, man, what was that movie I was just thinking of the other day? Um, uh, okay. I, have you ever seen Book of Eli? Anybody seen this movie? Mm-hmm. Okay. Book of Eli is a movie that is, you watch the whole thing, but the ending is just like, boom, you know, and you're like, whoa. And, uh, yeah. and But there is more of a message in that movie than that the world will get than there is in most Christian films. And, it's. I mean, it's a. It's a hard movie. I mean, it's. It's a pretty ultra-violent movie, but. Uh, but. But. I, all that to say, I mean, we don't have to. We, and we don't have to lower ourselves to be making all these ultra-violent, all these crazy kind of movies. We don't have to do that. But if you focus in on the story and the character development, because that's what movies are about. But then you add, you show the redemptive value in those characters. You show the love of God and Christ and the Christian life within those characters. That is far more appealing than somebody pounding scriptures at you during a movie. And this is, I'm talking strictly about reaching the lost crowd. Um, so, want,
0: there's going to be some, I, I'm going to push back. I want to I push back because there's some that are going to be in here. No, like some are going to say, like, God's not dead. You would actually get a gospel message out of that. You might actually understand some of the arguments for Jesus and being a Christian. Um, but Book of Eli, like, I mean, it's a cool thing, but you don't have to go away
2: grasping anything more about God or Jesus in that. Right. Well, thing with a, a God's Not Dead, like that movie. And I know the guys who made that movie. And, um, you know, they did a great job. The marketing campaign, they did everything on it. Great. Uh, here's one of the issues that we run into with, with a lot of Christian films. They always circle back to the exact same topics in every film. Uh, somebody's always dying of cancer, you know. And I'm, I'm I'm sorry, I mean, but in all Christian, I mean, most Christian films that are dramatic, somebody's dying of cancer. Matter of fact, one of my friends who's a writer didn't realize she had just written a film that was being produced at the time. I was telling her, I said, man, I said, I'm so sick of Christian films having uh, cancer patients dying. You know, people dying of cancer. I, you know, only the joy of the Lord, not the depressing of the Lord, you know. And and then my brother's like kicking my leg. I'm like, what are you kicking me for? And then afterwards, he's like, dude, she just sold a script that was about a can- boy with cancer dying and, and it's getting made right now. And I was like, no. Thanks. I said, "Could have you told me that before we went in the meeting?" You know, I always go on my rant about cancer patients, uh, you know, and uh, in movies, and uh, uh, you know, and and uh, and so I mean, um, and and because you know, actually, I, I even make a joke that that when the the movie uh, Son of God came out in theaters, I didn't bother going and seeing it because I figured they'd just make Jesus die of cancer instead of the cross.
0: No, <laughs> well, sorry,
2: <That's> Sorry. <laughs> So anyhow, well, whoa,
0: wait. <laughs> well, yeah, well, well, well whoa, knowing yeah. that like but cancer is a relatable topic, a lot of people go. But through. yeah, you've
2: shown your sensitive heart. We understand that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. For you, like you're talking in a yeah, film. Yeah. Way. I'm talking strictly film related, by the way. But uh, the problem is, well, in the Christian world, they, they get they get certain topics and they just beat them with a beat them like a. Uh, what, what do you beat? I forget what that thing. Dead horse, thank you. I was like, there is something you beat to death. Uh, uh, and uh, <laughs> I'm from Texas. I shouldn't know that about a horse. Um, but, um, but yeah, so that's, that's one of the things. Is, so in here and I think it goes back to what Tarantino said. As a Christian film, uh, it's about thinking of the content and the stories that you're trying to tell. Focus on telling a story that has a redemptive value more than preaching a sermon. Um, because Jesus spoke in parables. uh, And, you know, he got his message across in stories. And when you look at that, I always tell people, some people look at me cross, but I, I think, I'm like, if Jesus were walking the earth today, I think he would be a filmmaker because he loved to encapsulate the purpose of his message within a story. And that's what he always did. That's what parables are. They're mm. just little, little short films of what, what he was explaining. And because, the reason why is because an audience can relate to a character and a story better than they can just being told they're doing wrong. Mm. Uh, if somebody's watching a character experience something, they're like, wow, that's like me, that's like me, and there's redemption for that character, they can relate to that character, and they can, maybe there's redemption for me. You know, and that's exactly the way Jesus told stories. That's what Jesus did all throughout the Bible. You know, instead of overpowering them with all this, this, these crazy thoughts, all this wild stuff, he just went in. Here's a story. Here's what I'm trying to. And he would say something. And they'd be like, "Well, I'm confused." He goes, "Well, here, let me tell you a story." And he'd always break it down, and tell them a story, and then they're like, "Oh, yeah, I get it." You know. And so that's to me is it's filmmaking. So we've done redemptive and Christian. There's a religious in between there for you? Was there a third category? There's a faith-based, faith which is kind of the mixture of the two, where it's not so much where it's just all uh, like a sermon being preached, and it combines the faith. It combines the redemptive value and the faith. It's a little heavier on the, on the biblical side, like as far as saying scripture and stuff in there, but it's not to the point <coughs> that it literally, like an example of the, um, what's that movie, Fireproof? Like there's, a, there's like a 10-minute scene in P- fireproof where they're walking along and they're just, he's like, well, you know, the Bible says this, 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 and the Bible says this, this, this. That is a Christian film because instantly, in a in, and this is something from, from years of working in this industry, I know how an audience thinks, especially a secular audience, is once you start doing that, their brain clicks off. Oh, boy. And then it doesn't matter what the rest of the movie was about, you've lost them right there because you're trying to, to the, the the you're trying to, uh, to reach them, if they have not already related. Now, if, re- if they have related to that character, then you have a better chance of reaching them. So, Christian film is, I'm not saying Christian films is a bad thing and should not be made. I'm just saying, know your audience who you're trying to reach. The quality is a big thing. Yeah, like acting and production, do you think there's any hope for like, a better. Oh, man, uh, tell me about it. I harp on that one a lot too. <laughs> because um, the problem is, is um, uh, it's, it's coming down to like the Irwin brothers who made um, October Baby, and then they made Moms Night Out. They're friends of mine. I know them, and I, I thought it was a weird stretch for them to go to comedy uh, from doing October Baby. For those who don't know, comedy is the hardest genre to make in film, period, without a doubt. It's very difficult because comedic timing is difficult. Even for hilarious guys like me, <laughs> uh, but I'm scared of comedies. Um, and uh, but but like those guys, they have a really good eye, and they have a really good. They can really tell a good story. They did a great job with October Baby, um, and Mom's Not Out. I thought was entertaining, and it looked good, and everything. The problem is there's. As Christian filmmaker, and I run into this a lot, and this is one of the things, again, a touchy issue. I step on everybody's toes at media conferences. Um, I always tell them, I hope you're wearing steel-toed shoes. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the one of the things is that in the Christian world, we have this idea that we get called into something, and there is nothing that's going to change my mind because God called me to be a filmmaker. I'm well, like, yeah, but you're a terrible filmmaker. You know, and I mean, and I mean, you know, and that's the honest truth. I mean, because it's kind of like um, what I was talking about yesterday. How I, I had music, you know, music, and then there was the television world. I had these two worlds. Well, you know, had I gone down music route, maybe I would have done all right. But would I've been effective for God going down the place I was called, you know. And the problem is, I think Christians, as a Christians, we have a tendency to confuse what we really like oh, I like movies, I like movies. Yeah, but you're called to be a pastor or a preacher. Why are you making movies? Because you like them? Is that really what you're... So you're going to go and, you know, I I just tell people, pray. Make sure that God has actually called you to do, you know, what you're doing because you don't want to miss your whole purpose in life because you like movies. I want to be an actor, you know, and um, it's like, yeah, well, you can not act, <laughs> so, I mean, I, you know, and honestly, I mean, I've had to say that to people, and they're, uh, and that's one of the problems, like, with Christian film, another thing that comes into the acting issue is they're like, Johnny wants to be an actor, It's like, yeah, well, Johnny is apparently not an actor, so go get someone who is, and they get on this because they're thinking, oh, wow, you know, uh, I can go over here, and, and because I'm a real stickler on acting, because when it comes to acting, they've got to be believable, and unfortunately, in most Christian films, they're using Johnny Bo in their church and and uh, Susie and all this stuff and and so uh, anyhow, it gets into we, a,
0: we got ten minutes, yeah. so I want to keep finishing that up here. Yes. Um, just but but here we go. Speaking into that though, um, you also have had to grow into where you're at. So so
2: where is in the Christian faith the room for growth into something? Knowing like that's, a lot of the,
0: yeah, versus. that's that's a
2: really good point because um, here's 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 the signature to it all because I always. I love it when people are breaking in. And it's okay to start in and be not, you know, not looking like, you know, your gladiator or something. That's okay. The thing is, every time, improve upon your craft. Improve. The problem is whenever you see no improvement. There's one filmmaker I know who is like the icon of the, I'm not going to say who he is, uh, but he's an icon of the Christian film world. And he's been around for 30 years, making them back in the 80s. But I'm like, dude, your movies still look like they were made in the 80s, man. You know, I'm like, how could you make making movies 30 years and your movies still look the same? That didn't even make sense to me. And the the thing is, always, always do better. It, it should be said about everything in our life is when we, because, you know, when we do something for the fir- my first film we ever did uh uh, I wouldn't show it to anybody, and if it was, I'll be like, I'm like, I, I won't even ever say the name so people don't hunt it down and watch it, because it's so awful, and I was in it, and it was awful. I, w- I discovered very quickly I was a lousy actor, and uh, and so, um, but um, but the next time we said, okay, the next time we do one, we're going to improve the quality. and We did. We stepped up, and every time you step up, the problem with is so many people get so, but if there's a constant I always question I say question their calling whenever I see three or four or five films come from the same filmmaker and every one of them are exactly the same flat look terrible terribly acted terrible story and I'm like okay you might want to start questioning yourself on on if this is what you're called to do. So you know?
0: can I? would you say that's filmmaking, or would you transfer that over to Christianity as a whole and say that creativity and growth are a part of what God desires as a whole?
2: Oh, absolutely, because, you know, God is a creative God. I mean, he created the whole earth, <laughs> the whole universe. And so, I mean, he's a pretty creative dude, you know. And, um, and so we are to be creative, especially if you're a creative thinker, somebody who's a creative person. When you do something, don't let, that's, don't let that stop you, the fear of just making something stop you, but let that be a challenge to you that when you make something, say, okay, well, this may not have been perfect. This may not be, but now I know where I can improve the next time. Because, and this goes for all areas of creativity but just as always as you always keep on learning the problem is when you stop learning that's when we get a problem is because when you stop growing and you think oh yeah I've attained it all because I know guys who are doing 100 million dollar movies and guess what you sit down and watch their movie with them. they just made for a 70 million dollar budget or 50 million and they're picking it apart going man that's so stupid that is no, oh, that's so terrible. I could never do that again, you know. And they're like, that is so dumb. I can't believe people hate this. Don't hate this movie because of that, you know. And but they rip it because it's not that you sit there and rip it apart. But you look at where you can improve on because if you you life is a continuation of improving upon what you've done before. And God's built that within us. We are to be creative, but also just keep continuing to build and build. So I don't discourage him. I always tell people, go out. If you want to be a filmmaker, go do it. Go make two or three films, you know, short film, and uh, go out there, do it. But every time you do one, improve it a little bit the next time. Nobody expects you to be perfect. I mean, we still don't make perfect stuff. Like, I can watch a Tears* and i rip it, you know, apart 50 different ways. because so I'm like, Ugh, man, never doing that again. Oh, I hate how that cut's done. You know, which
0: which things? is probably good for, for the artists in here to hear as well, is that I would say I've heard that with authors, but even with filmmakers, that – Even when you finish the book, it doesn't feel completely complete. You could revise it all the time. There's a time to just... Send so out what you have, knowing that it's never going to be fully done or that even afterwards there's things you might want to change about that?
2: Oh, yeah. And that's one of the things is you always have to have a stopping point. That's where I always say deadlines are good. If you don't have a deadline. Oh, that's why there's school. <laughs> Woo, deadlines. <laughs> yeah, dead, yeah. yeah. All right.
0: Um, how much longer are you here for on campus?
2: Uh, I'm here today, and I leave in the morning. So,
0: so if you're wanting to catch up with him, um, spend time with him today. Kenny Sailors is here, and you've got to know him a little more and hear some stories I think, I'm not sure what you're doing for lunch or dinner, but you should be around here. I, I, did, I did invite him to hockey. I'm not sure if he's going to get out there or not, but I feel like he needs to have the king to a hockey Aww. experience. i never been tonight. to a hockey
2: game. Can you believe that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Someone should bring him coffee and an extra coat. Um, and so really appreciate I only have one. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. I had to buy this one. <laughs> <laughs> or blanket, something. So, uh, Thank you guys so much. We're, let's thank him again one more time for what thank he's doing. You. Being thank you, here. guys. Let me pray to close this out. God, be with us. Lord, we pray over Kenny and his continual influence in the in the video industry and in his world. Lord, we know that he's moved recently back from L.A. to Texas, Lord, and we know that you'll continue to use him and uh, in whatever area he's at, Lord, whether that's to be more involved in his church or his local community or whether that's films and moving back to L.A., Lord, just continue to bless him and his brother. And thank you so much. Hoping to be blessed even while he's here, and we thank you so much for the stories we've heard. We praise you for how you changed lives and the stories he told about you doing things. You are real and you're alive, and we just also just pray you continue to allow him to be a strong brother and preacher of your message as he has been. So we thank you for his longstanding perseverance and example. In Jesus' name, everyone said, "Amen, amen." Have a great day.